Have you ever had a conversation about what you would do if you won the lottery? Just with a show of hands, how many of you have talked with someone else about what you would do if you won the lottery? Let me see. That's what I thought. I thought it would be pretty much everybody. We have some friends that have great details about what they would do if they won the lottery. We were with them one night and they went into those details. And they're noble and good causes. Her interests are really around women and girls and looking at things to tend to them, not even only in this part of the, country, of the world, but in other parts of the world as well. He wants to do something with church camp, which is also a very good thing. And they went into great detail about what they would do if only they won the lottery. So I decided to risk being annoying as we sat with them at the table. And I said, well, have you started to do research? I was saying to her, have you started to do research about things that are available for women and girls in this country or in other parts of the world? You know, to just become familiar with what's already out there, maybe what they're offering that you would support, or maybe, maybe you'll discover places or ways that they don't do some things that you think are important, and maybe that's where you want to build a foundation with the lottery that you're going to win. And she said no, she hadn't really looked into it yet. I was poking at her because I'm 100% confident that if she began to do the research, she would discover she doesn't need to wait for the lottery. Today's gospel lesson, the parable that Jesus is telling, is about good works. We hear the word fruit in our gospel lesson this morning. When in the parable, Jesus talks about coming and the vineyard owner coming to collect his produce, which is really the word fruit. Matthew uses fruit to talk about good works. He uses it 17 times in his gospel. And always it is a metaphor, an allegory for good works. So in this parable that he's telling this morning, that Jesus is telling, we hear him talking about good works. And that that is what is to be produced in the vineyard. In the kingdom of God, good works are to be produced. The trick here is that they don't come out of our own righteousness. The good works are not things that we push through and get done. They are not an effort of our righteousness, our goodness. The good works, the fruit, is a byproduct of a life of faith. I'll say that again. The good works, which is the fruit, is a byproduct of a life of faith. In the parable this morning, we hear that the owner of the vineyard sends people to collect what is rightfully his, the fruit, the byproduct of what has come about through growing, the sun, the earth, the whole combination of it has produced fruit. And the owner of the vineyard sends his slaves to collect, to redeem what is rightfully his. And as you hear, it is hostile. Those slaves that are sent to the vineyard are met with violence, and it results in their death. And so eventually, the owner of the vineyard sends his son. Now, we are supposed to, upon hearing this 
allegory, we're supposed to liken the son to Jesus. Matthew's gospel was written probably around 90 AD. By this time, the letters of Paul had been circulating throughout the Christian communities for several decades. The gospel of Mark had already been written. The temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed, and there was the aftermath of that, people trying to make sense of what God was doing in that region. Matthew writes to an audience that he knows know the Jewish scriptures. And so he is reminding them of the prophets and their teachings. And in this allegory, the slaves that come first to collect the produce are to be likened to the prophets. And the son who is, who is sent to the vineyard to collect the produce is to be likened to Jesus. And so those listeners to Matthew's gospel in around 90 AD are putting together what it is that God is doing as God comes to collect the fruit. That the good works that are happening are a result of a life of faith. They are the byproduct of a life of faith. And they, and we, upon hearing this parable, are meant to consider how our life is shaped and influenced by what we hear. How is our life shaped and influenced by what we hear? When we remember that God came among us to draw us unto himself, to invite us into a relationship, a life of faith, and that the byproduct would be a fruitfulness, we wonder how our lives reflect that. This Gospel of Matthew has been bringing this to our attention over these last few weeks. For those of you that have been in worship over these last few weeks, you know that we've been working through this 21st chapter of Matthew. And in it, we are reminded of God's goodness in Christ, that God in Christ has come among us to draw us unto himself, and in so doing to establish a relationship that is a life of faith, and the byproduct is a fruitfulness that not only benefits us, but the whole world. This is what Paul is so struck by as we read about him in his letter to the Philippians this morning. Paul was a righteous man. He kept the Torah to its nth degree. In fact, you couldn't even touch him. He was so good at it. He goes through the list in his letter to the Philippians this morning. If anyone has any reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more, he says. Circumcised on the eighth day, perfect a member of the people of Israel, exactly, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, untainted. As to the law, a Pharisee, he kept the law to the highest degree. He had so much zeal that he persecuted the church in that he took on anybody who wasn't living as the Torah had instructed them. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. He had kept every part of it correctly. And yet, he says, and yet, whatever gains he had, he would count as nothing. Because when he encountered the risen Christ on a road, everything changed for him. And what he thought was valuable and meaningful, he realized, had very little substance compared to that relationship with Christ. What it is that had changed in him it had radicalized his world. Things were different for him from then on. 
So even as he writes this letter to the Philippians from prison, he says, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back because of what Christ has done in me. This life of faith is one that invites us to trust God with what we have. Because the good works, the fruit, are a byproduct of what happens when we trust God with what we have. Now we can be quick to judge whether or not what we have can be trusted to God. We might decide it's no good or not good enough. We might think it's bad. But God invites us, woos us, loves us with the invitation to trust it. To not make judgment on what we have, but instead to trust God with it. We are invited to trust God in any number of ways, and I hope that you will pick one. Trust God perhaps with your finances, whether it be good because you have a little extra, or whether it be bad because you don't have enough. However you've labeled it, however you've judged it, how is God inviting you to trust God with it? Perhaps to trust God with your health, whether it be physical or mental or emotional. Maybe it feels good and you feel strong. God is inviting you to trust God with that. Maybe you feel weak or vulnerable. God is inviting you to trust God with that. Perhaps with your future, your plans for tomorrow, because you're excited about them, or maybe you're afraid of them. God invites you to trust God with that. God so loved the world so much that God came among us in order that we might have a life of faith, to recognize that we have one who will walk this way with us. And in that life of faith, as we trust God with what we have, there will be a byproduct, a fruitfulness, something that is beyond what any of us could have done on our own. This is what is being driven home in the 21st chapter of Matthew. And this is what I invite you to consider in those moments of silence in our worship. Whether it be right after the announcements at the beginning or after the homily, when I invite you to consider God's prayer in you, that is an invitation of God's, to listen. What is it that God invites you to trust God with? Because God is faithful. And as we learn to trust God with even one thing, and we allow God to hold that with us, that life of faith will generate a byproduct, a fruitfulness, a good work that is beyond what any one of us could do by ourselves. And it is a definitely a good work that will reflect the goodness of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.